0: Matthew 11, verse 25, we read, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little kids. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him this is the word of the lord thanks be to god you may be seated you're like there's no way he's going to preach a sermon right now (laughs) (laughs) keep it short keep it short um i was away this past week i had an opportunity um some friends of mine some colleagues and sort of a big brother in the faith uh, paid for my wife and i to go out to this little cohort um, in colorado Uh, we're a part of this cohort and it's mostly urban church planners so there's a few folks who just you know maybe came from dude ranch world but we went to a a very few of us Um, and so uh, we went to this dude ranch to rest and relax, and it, it's, there's a lot to explain about why this was amazing, but also very strange. Um, I'd never been to a dude ranch before. Um, it's It was this opportunity to be refilled and to be um, just energized, and it was the best because our cohort, and this is going to play into a little bit of stereotype. but I, by, I, I, All my black brothers and sisters specifically will acknowledge that hopefully the stereotype is mostly accurate. A um, good chunk of our cohort are not white people specifically not white people from the south specifically not white people from dude ranch world and so going on a horse rides and I meant to put a picture up there with some of my um my my brothers and sisters who are not familiar with this particular um cultural idea of getting on a horse and going up into the mountains it was unbelievably hilarious so I use it as a setup because um the first uh, day we went like we're like, all right, we're all gonna brave it. We're all gonna go horseback riding. Everyone's sort of peer pressuring each other and go up into these beautiful mountains. And as me, Corey, um, one guy from South Africa who like, you know, looked like, he's very, uh, not the kind of guy who go horseback riding, just very like, his first th- uh, comment I would believe was, oh man, the horse matches my outfit. That was my best South African impression. <laughs> in other words, that was like kind of where he was going in, like the horse matched my outfit. And then you, you had um, uh, a bunch of, uh, good good buddies of mine who were from various urban centers but all again men who are not white dude ranchers again i say this only in that we all get on these horses and we're all kind of nervous i'm the only one who had even like done anything even remotely similar to this before and as we're going all of a sudden uh, my horse who is named smarty and i'll reveal to you in a minute why his name is um, bumped up against my, I didn't even notice that it had happened, bumped up against my wife's horse, who was right in front of me. And all of a sudden, uh, my w- wife's horse bit my, ho- like turned violently. If you've ever been on a horse, like this isn't like, like a little dog biting another little dog. I mean, this is absolutely frightening. And so my wife's horse bites my horse, like snaps at it. And then my horse beelines it in the other direction. I do not know how to actually ride a horse. Like I just had done it once before, and my fear was like slightly lower than everybody else's. And then we've got these three other guys who definitely don't want to be here. And this is like the biggest cultural leap for them ever. And they're just like, what, 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 what? Like, I mean, it is an absolute mess. And my wife who, when she gets really anxious and like overwhelmed and things are scary, doesn't go like where Charlie goes, where he starts yelling, Corey just goes, And just gets really, really quiet. So this whole scene kind of settles down and there's about twenty minutes of awkward silence. And the the ranger who is with us just goes How's everyone doing? (laughs) We're like, there's still time to turn back. Like we're only two, three minutes into this thing. So he reveals to me, I, I, I actually he had revealed it to be totally fair before, but I didn't connect the dots, that my horse is blind in its left eye. You're gonna send this new city kid. I just there's too much. Like out on a blind horse into like the wherever we were, the smoky mountains. Where's smoky mountains? It wasn't the Rockies. Is there another range in Denver? Wow, I just got rebuked by the whole congregation. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Colorado geography not great. Um, so, so I don't know where I was in the story. So I find out the horse is blind, and the ranger goes, "Oh, probably Smarty." Who, by the way, we call him Smarty because he like ran his eye like into like a stick and blinded himself. Like Smarty, it's like, oh, this is not an endearing name. Like I, I thought I got the intelligent horse. I'm like nope. And so he goes, you know, honestly, probably what happened is the horse like. Like, just got too close, and apparently my wife's horse has, like, a bit of a personality and some fire. There's a lot of marital things going on here as well. Clearly, it was like a prophetic moment for our marriage. But that's why, <laughs> this is why this horse, my wife's horse, just bit at mine is because Smarty could not see what was directly in front of him. There is a blindness that threatens our church. And it threatens our families, and it's a blindness, I think, of this like current cultural moment. I think it's a blindness that threatens our walk, um, and it's the blindness of, of a few things that kind of I think coalesce together, and they are pride, and they are sophistication, that lead to a kind of a hard-heartedness that ultimately, I think, blind us from what Jesus is doing right in front of us. I think in this moment of disorientation and disappointment, of cultural confusion and chaos, where we are still like recovering from the political nightmare of the last year and we're still debating things about vaccines and we're seeing heroes of the faith and heroes in our culture fall. And then there's this, of course, like prevalent anxiety of being able to find any truth and any angle that we want at any time by saying, hey Siri, I think it's having an effect on us. <laughs> it's an understatement of the year. And it's causing us to manage our expectations and take the path of least resistance. And that's making us unable to see. Unable to see Jesus as worthy of our whole life. Unable to see Jesus as worthy of our finances and of our time and of our energy. And it's blinding us to the beauty of what the church could be if we stepped in wholeheartedly. And my sense is that many of us, or maybe it's not you specifically, some of the people that you love and you serve are very slowly losing their childlike faith if they even had it to begin with. Because when you're hurt, when you're confused, when there are no external cultural forces pushing you to become more full of faith, your faith will become lifeless and it will, you will subtly distance yourself from anything that's earnest or expectant or joyous. You take New England culture, post-Christian culture, and the exhaustion of our times, and it's really hard to find a Jesus nerd, for lack of a better way to put it. You know what I'm talking about, some of you at least? Maybe it was the first time you came to know Jesus. It was that moment. It's that faith that you mock in the person next to you, but you secretly wish you had. I think what happens As we lose this subtly, as we become blind to the things that God's doing, we become like sophisticated in all the worst sorts of ways. And we have a faith that's marked by pride. So this passage, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and you revealed them to little children. This is is fascinating because it's, it's one verse in a long line of verses where Jesus keeps saying, do you wanna see? Do you wanna see? Become like a kid, become like a kid. You wanna see? Do you wanna know? Do you wanna participate? Become like a kid, become like a child quick background jesus has just finished drawing like right before this passage he's just finished drawing a contrast between these jewish cities which by the way jesus is a rabbi he's speaking into jewish culture thinking they will understand this revolution and revival that's happening the messiah has come all that goes along with that and he realizes that they are not getting it no one in his tribe in his crew none of the the leaders in the synagogue none of the other rabbis are listening or paying attention and so he is like fed up and just before this, he draws this contrast between Israelite cities who, based on their history and culture, should have recognized what Jesus was up to. They should have been in his corner. Instead, you have Israel's historical enemies like, who are like infamously wicked, and he says they're more likely to follow him. This is sort of like, if you're familiar at all with like, hip-hop, this is like, like a, almost like a battle rap. Like He literally goes after like, his tribe's mama is like the best way to put this. Some of you are like I'm tracking, others are like wrong church. <laughs> right before this passage, we read Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of the miracles had been performed because they didn't repent. And then he launches in, "Woe to you Chorazin, woe to you Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon. These are cities that, like, are notoriously like enemy cities. It'll be better for them. And you, Capernaum, like, this is like the hotbed of Jewish intellect. You will be lifted to the. Uh, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, he drops Sodom. That's like the worst of the worst. And he's like, those folks, all I'm seeing have a better chance. Those folks that don't have any understanding of the Old Testament, any idea of the Messiah, any sense of there being one God, any sense of like what it is to walk in this kind of view of love and beauty. They have nothing. And he goes, they have a better chance at getting it than you do. Up to this point in the story, the people who seem to have truly notable faith in Jesus have been Gentiles, well-known people outside the tribe, outcasts, sinners. If you've been in church long enough, at least this church long enough, you know this story where Jesus gravitates to, those on the underside of power, the hurting, the poor, the oppressed, and the weak. So you have this group of people who by all external indicators should have been the first to receive Jesus This group, by and large, are the sophisticated, wealthy class, at least amongst Israel. Priests, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, they should have gotten it. On the other hand, you have this other group of people. So two groups of people we're going to keep going back to, who are just trying to keep their head above water. They're under Roman dominion. They're largely poor and uneducated farmers and fishermen. These folks are the, quote, unwashed masses. They are referred to as sinners by their religious elite, which is a way of othering them. And they are basically doing whatever it takes to survive and keep their lives tolerable. I always wonder what Jesus thought about this. It's like, it's like you have a word and you go home to your family and they don't receive it, but your enemy receives it. What was it like discovering and knowing in advance, or maybe he knew in advance, that most of his contemporaries and most of his colleagues, most of his fellow, fellow Torah studiers didn't want to hear and believe what he was telling them? Most of them like alarmed. In fact, they they start making outright excuses for not following him and then even going after him. But what's so interesting about this moment, what I love about this moment, is that with all this opposition mounting against Jesus, he breaks into praise. He has a little praise break. It's literally what it says here. Abruptly, Jesus broke into praise. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You concealed your ways from, like this is the, sorry, the message translation. I wanted to read this. You you concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. He says, I praise you in the NIV, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Jesus gets this fresh insight into how God the Father was operating jesus comes on the scene he's a rabbi he expects his tribe to get it they don't seem to get it he's frustrated and bewildered or maybe he had some anticipation and you just find him in his humanity like sharing this and then he has this moment where he's like it's almost it sounds like an epiphany moment where he's like oh of course this is how you're operating He starts praising God as he sees this strange and unexpected way that God is working. The new thing that God is doing in front of everyone's noses is not seen by the sophisticated and it's not seen by the prideful and it's not seen by the cynics and it's not seen by the cultural sympathizers. Nah, it's the kids. It's always the kids with Jesus. Now, to be clear, little Jesus, uh, little Jesus, to be clear, (laughs) little Jesus, baby Jesus was doing great. To be clear, little children are not following Jesus around, just in case you're confused. Jesus speaks of kids in a couple ways. Bear with me. One, so far in the story, he's referred to his faithful apprentices, his disciples, as little ones, as children. He has pointed out the special places in the kingdom for children or encouraged his followers to be like them. Uh, specifically, one place I want to point out is in Matthew 18. At the time of the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they're having a little debate, whole backstory here. But verse two, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know why I don't preach on this more often and don't hear more preachers preaching on this more often. This is pretty epic. Unless you do this, you won't get anything. You won't understand it. You won't be able to participate in it. And then he breaks it down. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you're new to the scriptures, the kingdom of heaven is simply where everything is in its right place. The kingdom of heaven is like, things are right. And that's what Jesus has come to announce. He is the king of where everything is made new and right he says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. The idea here, by the way, is not that intelligent adults, some of you are like, I'm kind of smart. <laughs> it's not that all intelligent adults are hard-hearted rebels while like little infants have the true revelation of God. No, Jesus is drawing a contrast between two kinds of people. Those that should see him but don't, And ones that should be blinded but actually aren't. Those that are childlike, not childish, but childlike, and those that aren't. This first group of people that you would imagine saying, like, yes, Jesus, like, we need you. We like, thank you for coming and helping, like, help us, like, point out where we have failed and where we have missed it. Like, thank you, Jesus, for taking this message to people that it was hard for us to reach. Please come and speak at our synagogues. Like, that didn't happen. But then there's this second group that on paper should have been apathetic or even opposed. Their lives are brutal. And now here comes a man talking about how money changes a person for the worse and, and it turns your hearts away from God. He's talking and trusting God to provide if we make being the kingdom something that we lost a long time ago, our first priority he wants these people to take my weekly visits to prostitutes or my different view of sexuality in general or my skimming the top of like taxes. Think of Zacchaeus, like literally extorting people. And he wants me to spend my time thinking about how to love and serve God and serve the people who are around me who ridicule me. The group that is supposed to know God and pursue faithfulness rejects and opposes Jesus while this lowly group that Jesus is saying far more challenging things to they're the ones that repent. They're the ones like Zacchaeus. They make amends. Some leave their only jobs. Think of the disciples. These are lowly characters who weren't good enough to step into the rabbinical school, who just weren't good enough, who go and they leave everything behind, trusting that God will take care of them. This is what it means for God to have revealed himself to children, not the wise And Jesus keeps saying, if you want to see, if you want to experience and participate in the kingdom, you just need to become like one of these. Uh, many of you uh, remember um, in this past year, um, Sarah uh, lost her mom. Many of you were at that funeral online. Um, Hallie had impacted so many, and I heard just so many stories leading up to that of her, like, big impact in the world. Um, And then just literally in the funeral watching, hearing how she had impacted folks. But the most moving moment, and this happens, I think, at most funerals, the most moving moment was when Betsy, her, her daughter, Sarah's sister, and Sarah came forward and spoke about Hallie from, like, inside knowledge. There are those stories that only a kid can know, right? There are those character traits that really only a kid can know. Only a daughter or a son could tell because they lived life in mom's presence. See, Jesus had come to know his father the way a son does, not simply by studying literature about him, though he did that but by living in his presence, by listening to his voice, learning and watching and imitating him and becoming an apprentice of him. And he was seeing this very same thing play out in front of him. Jesus was discovering that the wise and the learned folks were getting nowhere. And that the kids, the little ones, the least of these, the poor, the sinners, the tax collectors, the ordinary folk were discovering more of God by doing the same. Simply trusting him, following him, by living in his presence, by listening to his voice, by learning and watching and engaging with Jesus. Not finding ways to insulate themselves, from the radical invitations of God. They were the ones that could see and experience the kingdom of God again. Why? Because they were humble, because they were hungry, because they were open. Scholar, uh, Andrew Plummer, uh, gets at it like this. He says, the heart, not the head, is the home of the gospel. People may be wise as Solomon, but if they have not the simplicity, the trust, the innocence of the childlike heart, they shut themselves out. I want to end here. I don't want to be shut out. I don't want to miss out. I want to resist spiritual blindness. I want to become like a child. So the vision for 2022, you know me, like I chafe a little bit against the like, Like, here's our vision statement, like, take the hill. took us 10 years to get t-shirts. By the way, there's amazing t-shirts and swag out there for Vision Sunday. The vision for 2022 is actually really simple. I actually felt like I got a phrase from the Lord. It's become church kids. In a world of cynicism, church kids are full of wonder and joy. In a world of theorizing and virtue signaling, church kids are getting in the game. In a world full of pride and arrogance and faux intellectualism, church kids are humble and teachable. In a world where no one is listening, church kids listen and ask questions and seek to understand before being understood. We're open. In a world full of plausible solutions and unbelief, church kids aren't afraid to imagine and trust God with the impossible. They will not limit God. We will not limit God. In a world full of cynicism, church kids are gonna be filled with wonder and faith, trusting Jesus for everything. Enthusiastic. Anyone wish they were a little more enthusiastic, but have been beaten down by the world? Anybody? Anybody feel like like their beautiful side has been dulled? Anyone just feel a little exhausted and beat down, and oh my gosh, I can't do this again. I honestly believe God's inviting us this year to step in with an earnestness and openness, a humility and a joy to be free like children in a world where everyone's jockeying for position and looking out for number one church kids serve. Church kids lay down their life. Smarty man, Smarty, that horse got pushed off the trail with me on it. It was not, It was, it was, it was so scary, (laughs) man. Why it's pushed off the trail because it was not positioned to see. If I just pulled Smarty to the other side, it would have been able to see the horse in front of him. It wasn't positioned to see. We must be positioned to see. And Jesus is crystal clear on how you position yourself to see the thing that God's doing. He's super clear and point-blank. There's no other way to interpret this. Become like a kid. Become like a kid. Become like a kid. Jesus, at the end of this section, speaks that famous welcome. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the context You've heard that verse a million times, but he's speaking to the kids, to the little ones, to the weary, to the ones at the bottom, to the ones who are open. Not the ones who made their faith an intellectual exercise, not to the ones who tamed their faith. No, he says, come to me, those who really want to see. Come who are weary and burdened and actually like children might need some help of the creator of their father. They might want to actually find their real identity, not the identity that culture has put on them. So as a child, they've come to mom and dad and said, help, oh, come to me. That's the context. We drop come who are weary and heavy laden every time we want to have like a mindfulness sermon. But it's not. The weary and heavy laden are specific people, childlike like people come the God of the universe invites you to come into his loving presence the little kids always turn to mom and dad when they don't know where to go when they need to be fed when they need direction when they need encouragement so today I want to give a couple invitations as we go into a time of worship and response we know we go a little late today so don't even look at your watch we're doing okay we want to have like, real time to respond. Like, don't let this moment go by because I have a sense that God wants to break off that uh, aggravating cynicism in your life. He wants to open you up to that wonder of the faith as a child. The Pharisees didn't see it. The Pharisees didn't get it. They missed God and what he was doing right in front of them. And they brought condemnation on themselves because they heard a word and didn't accept it. Every time revelation comes, it requires response. I'm saying that you guys know I don't come hard at preaching like that, but I have just shared a revelation from the word. This weren't Andrew's words, like you could ignore everything else I said, that text, if you don't respond, if there is a hard heartedness and a sophistication bias that is keeping you from an earnest, loving relationship from God, there will be condemnation heaped upon you if you do not respond in this moment. I hate that I said that, but I believe it. I mean that with all grace, but this is what God is inviting us to to respond, God, where do you wanna break off? What do you wanna break off in me? Come, he says, come. Where do you need to repent of your pride? You need to ask God to become more humble today. Where have you in your desire to be aligned with the world around you elevated yourself above the teachings of Jesus? Where like the Pharisees have you cherry picked verses in God's word and created a manageable worldview that you know in your heart is not the way of Jesus. I know that was for someone. So for a moment I wanna ask you to come forward and engage. Like we do most Sundays, I'm not sure how, North, how you guys roll at the end of your service these days, but man, we just, for us, it's just a, a powerful time just to receive, to actually respond in our hearts. And, if, and one way we do that is just sometimes to come forward. You may not need prayer for anything specific, but just to respond. Our prayer team will be up here. Some of them might want to lay a hand and bless you. Maybe you just want to stay right where you're at and engage in, in those, these words of, of, of a calling back to, to what it is to be a church kid, okay, but we want to actually take a moment to truly respond. Because in a world that is ripe with spiritual blindness, We have to want to have eyes to see. And the way that we see all that God has for us is the same now as it was then to become like a child. So I close with this as we come forward. Corey uh, asked me to boil this talk down to a sentence last night before bed. I paused, thinking about the long explanation that I really wanted to give, (laughs) that I usually give. And then I just said in a moment of just like, I was tired and I was like, you know what? This is the, the vision for the year. I said, I really believe that God wants our church to become nerdy, passionate, humble, open, earnest church kids who don't fear anyone but God, kids who walk with staggering faith and kids who are known by sacrificial love and kids who are a voice of hope for the tired and the hopeless. And she just turns to me and goes, Andrew, j- just get up and say that. <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, I think I'm like on the verge of tears because I want this. I want this for more and more in my heart to be postured in humbleness, humility and openness. May it be said, may it be said that this church, these churches, the posture of the child. And so Lord, we come to respond. We come to listen. We come to hear. Those invitations, having our pride broken off, moving into humility of repenting of our cynicism, of acknowledging the ways we have placed our opinions above the very words of Jesus recognizing that our heart is hard and we don't know what to do with it. I, I know what to do with it. Come and, and just and receive prayer. Respond. Just say, God, I don't want it anymore. Maybe that's the only prayer you have for today. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you move? If you want to come forward, come forward. If you want to stand, stand. But let's respond together.